0: Welcome to Resurrection Life Wednesday night service. Uh, Thank you for joining me here in uh, my living room. Um, We are excited uh, to be able to share something with you that I think is pretty much uh, universally applicable. But I believe that that there are uh, a few people in particular that God really wants to encourage um, with this message. And today's topic is change. Uh, One of the most famous quotes on the subject is from 500 years before Christ by uh, Euclides, I believe is how they pronounce his name, a famous philosopher. And he said this, the only thing that is constant is change. (laughs) Uh, The reason that quote is so famous so many thousands of years later is because it is still true. Um, Even, we we tend to think of ourselves as a a modern society and all the technology, and we feel like that we're the first people to experience a society like this. And in many ways, we are. But in many ways, society has always been changing. Uh, If we look at some of the top stress-causing events in life, they involve change. Um... Number one is the death of a loved one. Obviously, a lot of change. Number two is divorce. Divorce obviously involves a lot of change. The commitment you made to live with that person for the rest of your life, and now you're not going to, that's that's a lot of change. Third is loss of a job. Now, that's obviously all about change. An increase in financial... Obligations, a change in your finances, getting married. How does that make it to number five? Isn't that something people wanted? And yes, it is. But it still causes stress to have to change. You went from pleasing just yourself to now living with somebody whose opinion matters about everything. Change brings stress. It can also bring blessing, but it can bring stress. Next is moving to a new home. Then seventh is chronic illness or injury. And then eighth, I would classify as the first one of the major stressors in life that does not involve specifically change, and that would be emotional issues such as depression, anxiety. And some of those are triggered by change. We see that that we as people have a very interesting love-hate relationship with change. Um, I'm reminded of a cartoon that I saw, and I'm not sure if it was a preacher or a politician. To me, it felt like a preacher, but that's maybe because I'm a preacher. But he's standing at a podium, and there's a crowd of people out there, and he says, Who wants change? And every hand in the crowd goes up. And then the next little picture says, who wants to change? All of a sudden, every hand is gone. Uh, we love the idea of change. I think of uh, Obama's campaign slogan when he first ran. It was just change. Didn't have to specify what, just change. And people were so excited because we want something different. Uh, then when we get it, we're not so sure anymore. And I I remember an interesting uh, uh, situation. There was a friend of mine, name was Margot, and she was a hairstylist. And um, I was talking to her once about um, what kind of work she did and how she chose it. And she said, you know, I really prefer to cut men's hair. And she was working at a salon, uh, a hair place that specialized in that. And and I said, well, why? Well, you know, is it easier or is it more challenging? What about it? She says, actually, no, that's not it. She said, but when often when I would cut women's hair, they would have such inflated expectations of what this haircut would do for them, that it was hard to uh, fulfill those expectations. She says that she would literally have clients come in who thought, when I get this haircut, it is going to change the way I look so much that it's going to change the way I feel about myself. And it's going to change the way I look so much that it's going to change the way people see and perceive me and think about me. And that that they would literally come in expecting a hair change to alter their life. And she said, that was tough. to to face because even if I did a good job, I couldn't live up to those expectations. She said, I preferred to cut men's hair because usually they didn't put much uh, expectation on the haircut other than just, it will look good. She says, that was easy to handle. But we tend to do that where either we're avoiding change, we want to keep it at bay as much as possible, or... We expect so much from it. We're going to get a new job, and that new job is going to change everything, and we're going to be there forever, and then we're going to work our way up through the system, and they're going to do this and that. And when I get my income to a certain level, when I get that raise, when I reach this certain thing, well, then I'm going to be happy. I know that I will. And we put so much expectation on the changes that are coming in our life. Oh, this new house, if I can just move from the city to the country, if I can just move from the country to the city, if I can just get out of my parents' house, if I can just have my own place, well, if I if I could just own my own place, I mean, I need to get out of this apartment. We just put expectations on change, like change itself is going to make such a huge difference. Uh, there's an interesting study by a woman by the name of Linda Waite of the University of Chicago. She said uh, she wanted to see if the change people sought in their marriage life actually affected their happiness. One of the many uh, stressors we talked about, one of those was divorce. And we talked about that as as a source of stress, but realized many people are seeking divorce because they're expecting it to make them happy. So she did a study. She says, okay, if we take these people who have who were unhappily married and they got divorced to seek happiness, and the people who were unhappily married but who chose to seek resolution in some other way other than getting divorced, just stayed married, who, on average, after time, was more happy? And she discovered that those who divorced were not more happy than those who didn't. In other words, on average, these radical changes, number two, highest stressor in life, did not achieve that which they expected it to achieve. They thought that changing their circumstances would change their heart. That wasn't the case. I liken it a little bit to being... On the road. I am not a very passive driver. By that I mean, if I am on a two-lane road and a car slows down in front of me, I will get over and pass. I'm always surprised sometimes if for whatever reason I happen to be driving extra slow, how sometimes cars will just line up behind. I'm like, well, there's a whole other lane over there. Well, have you ever been in, the, in a bad traffic? And I know I, I tend to look, I'm looking around, okay, which one of these lanes is going to be the Fastest. And so you see this lane next to you and it's going and passing. And so you're like, all right, that's the one. And so you look for a break and you finally get in and you get into that lane and then it's the lane that you were in that's going faster. I think most of us have experienced that. We expect change to deliver more than change can handle. I want to go to Genesis chapter 12, verse one and three, and we're going to read about what God said to Abraham. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Abraham received a word from God. God said, "Go." God said, "I have something for you. I want you to embrace change." It came at a cost. He had to leave his family. He had to face uncertainty. He had to go and travel. Um Especially considering that God didn't even tell him where he goes. He said, go to a place I will show you. Not go to this address, put it in your GPS, this is how far, how far. No, he said, go, I'll tell you when you get there. When you've arrived at that promised land. Abraham went for it. But he also benefited. He benefited by receiving the promises that God had given him. He was to be a blessing to the entire world. He got a family of his own. God prospered him when he obeyed. We sometimes, and I I, I look at Abraham and I, I think about Abraham and his descendants and what must have been going through Abraham's mind. I imagine Abraham probably thought, okay, I am going to take on this change so that my descendants will live in this promised land and everything will be peachy for them. In other words, I I think it's very likely that Abraham expected that he endured the change and that no one else would have to. But it's pretty interesting what the Bible actually tells us. And we're going to get into a little bit of what happened to Abraham's descendants in a little bit as we talk about that. But it's interesting that we sometimes misinterpret God's promise of protection and love as a promise of perfect consistency. We as Christians... Get this idea that if God loves me and protects me, then my life will be consistent. The boat won't rock. The Bible does say that God doesn't change. Malachi chapter 6 says, I, the Lord, do not change. That's encouraging. There's a very famous verse Jeremiah, chapter 29, verse 11. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Now, this verse applies to you. This verse was spoken to the Israelites based on their relationship with God. We see a scripture that is based on us, our relationship with god we understand that speaks to us but let's look at the context he was speaking to the israelites and he was saying i do have plans for you but let's go to first one of jeremiah 29. it says this is the text of the letter that the prophet jeremiah sent from jerusalem to the surviving elders Among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets and all other people, Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Whoa. So this chapter is literally written to them regarding their time in exile. In other words, the Israelites had just been conquered by a foreign people who... Kicked them out of their homeland, drug them back as, as, in, a, in essence, as, as slaves, as a conquered people back to their own country. And God says, I know there's change going on, but I want you to understand that I have beautiful plans for you. It wasn't what they were expecting. If you'd have asked them, what do we expect? They would have said, oh, well, we were, we were hoping to stay put in the promised land. I find it interesting what it says in Jeremiah 29, verse 4. Again, 29.11 talks about those beautiful plans. 29.1 says, explains the context. And then let's look at what it says here in verse 4 through 7. This is what the Lord Almighty The God of Israel says to those who I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce, marry, have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number, do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you to exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. What a profound and interesting situation. They, being the Israelites, have just been taken into captive. They have been taken from the promised land, something they believed was their goal, that their their final goal, where they were supposed to be. But God says to them, even in the face of challenges, please seek. Because so many times we say to ourselves, "This is another tendency of of human nature. If if my situation isn't perfect, then then I don't want to. I don't want to uh, go for it. I'm, I'm just." If it's not everything I want, then I'm going to back off. If I didn't get it all, if it's not ideal, well, then I'm going to shut down. And God says, no. When situations come up and it's not ideal, he says, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, as the saying would go. He says to the Israelites, he says, oh, I know. You've been, you have experienced change. You've been brought to this place. But what I encourage you to do is marry, build houses, live your life, seek happiness. Oh, and then pray for the blessing of the city where you live, because as it is blessed, you will be blessed. And remember, this is the context of Jeremiah 29, 11. He says, your situation may not be that which you hoped exactly it would be, I don't think any of us hoped for the situation that we are in right now. This COVID-19, if you, if, especially if you are a small business owner, and, and you are trying to keep things together during this time, this is not what you hoped for. But God says, I know that I have plans for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. This is true. And he will encourage you, make the best of this situation. When change comes, don't shut down. Don't shut down until the ideal situation comes back. He says, recognize that I'm there. We have this tendency to think that if things aren't perfect, God isn't on the throne anymore. God told us in John 16, 33, he said, I have told you these things so that in me, you may have peace in this world. You will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. God is saying, yes, the situations will come. Changes are going to take place, but do not fear. I have overcome the world. It reminds me uh, of someone I was talking to about uh, investments many years ago. And that year uh, they had invested heavily in in a particular stock and that company had done poorly and had lost value. They were very upset about how much money they had lost. Well, then I talked to them again the next year and that same company in whom they still had a bunch of stock had done wonderfully and they had expanded and gone way up and now they were getting dividends and they had their, their market value had gone way up. And you know what they were doing now? They were complaining about the taxes that they were going to have to pay. And I realized, wow, no matter what change came that way, person's way, they were unhappy. And as I think about uh, that example, it also reminds me of the fact that Financial markets are an excellent example. If we look at the U.S. economy, which over time has been extremely successful, it does not look like a perfect slope. It goes up and then down and then up and then down and then up and then down and then up and then down and up and down and up and and up and then up. And right at the beginning of this COVID, we were at a near all-time high and it dropped. And many people panicked. And, and many occasions in the past when the economy would take a dive at some point, people would get so distraught, they would, in some cases, even commit suicide. They'd sell all their stock. And then it would turn around, come back up. And when we look at the the trend, we see, wow, there was success. But when you look at a day, there may be days when it was down. God says, yeah, I told you that in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He says, wait a minute, don't worry about The ups and downs recognize that I have long-term plans for you. Your situations may vary, they will change, but I don't. Sometimes uh, we, we look at a situation and we think, oh, it's gonna be so terrible. A job loss, but then what happens? A better job comes along. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, says this, Therefore, any one of you who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. It's interesting that both people experienced the same storm. You ever think about that? The same rain fell on the house that was following God's word as the house that wasn't. The same way wind blew against it. The same waves crashed by it. But the Bible says, one stood and one fell. What was the difference? It was their foundation. I'm going to jump back to the story of Israel and Jacob. We remember Abraham or excuse me, Abraham, Abraham had gone to the promised land. Then he had children, his children had children, and that was Jacob. Jacob was the grandson of Abraham living in the promised land. He had 12 sons. We know the story of Joseph. One of those sons was sold into slavery by his brothers because he was their father's favorite. Jacob had been through a lot. Jacob was, the Bible says, he fought with his brother in the womb. Then Jacob um, fought with his brother over his birthright. Then Jacob had to flee. Jacob went to a different land. He was there with Laban. Um, He fell in love with Laban's daughter. He went to marry her after seven years of work. And Laban tricked him and married him to a different daughter, saying, Oh, I have, I always have to marry off my children in order of age. So you had to marry Leah, who the Bible says was not as pretty. And so then he had to go uh, back another seven years to work for Rachel. And then the Bible says that Laban changed his. Wages 10 times. And then after he left Laban, he went back to face his brother. And he got back there. And then he had the 12 boys. And then his youngest and favorite son was killed by wild beasts. Really, he was sold into slavery. Um, Then his favorite wife, Rachel, had one more child, Benjamin, and she died after giving birth. And so this favorite son of his was was there. His other favorite son was dead as far as he knew. And then a famine came. And here's where I want to pick up. Jacob, much like the illustration I gave a bit ago of the American economy, had gone up and down, up and down, up and down. But a constant trend, up, up, up. He was blessed. He had a great... uh, family. He was fulfilling um, the prophecy that God had given to his father and his grandfather about making him into a great nation. And he had these 12 sons who would become the, the leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel. And God had changed Jacob's name from Jacob to Israel. And although he had faced many difficulties, he was on his way in a positive direction. And then there's a famine. A famine in the promised land. This always surprised me to think God sent them to the promised land, but only a few generations later, he pulled them out of the promised land. You know, some of us don't handle it well when our target changes. We want one singular goal. And we can look at at human nature. It's human nature to want one thing. And, for example, losing weight. People want to lose weight, lose weight, lose weight, lose weight. Well, then they get to an ideal weight, but they can't turn it off. And they just keep seeking to lose more weight, to lose more weight. Or the reverse. Bodybuilders who just want to get bigger bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and then... Then they, they get as big as they can naturally get. And then they, I need to get bigger. And then they want to use steroids. And then there's, there's injections that just make the muscles look bigger. And if you ever look into those things, I don't recommend it. It is, it is sad and scary to see. I had a friend who got so into weightlifting that his bicep would hit his forearm and he could not put a spoon in his mouth without leaning his neck forward. Because there was no limit. The, the target, there was, no, there was no way to reach the goal. He just had to keep going past it and past it. The Israelites could have been that way. They, they had the promised land, but then God actually changed the target. Now, it was first it was get to the promised land. And then God orchestrates this miracle where he saves Jacob's son and makes him second in command of the most powerful nation on earth. And they go back to Egypt. He gets to see his son again. There's a time during that situation where Jacob is afraid that he is going to lose his second favorite son, Benjamin. Remember, he sent his sons to Egypt to buy food. They came back, and they said, well, they've kept one of our brothers' captivity and said, if you want him, you have to send back your youngest son to prove that you're not spies. And really, it was a test Jacob or Joseph, was doing to see if his brothers had changed in their character. But they didn't know that. And Jacob says at that point, he says, I could not live if my youngest son dies. In other words, Jacob says, I have been through so many changes. I have been through so many difficult situations. I don't think I can do another one. Some of you may be in that situation where you look and you say, I have been through so much that the cumulative weight of everything I have endured is too great. It's interesting that Jacob, for a season, does not send his youngest son to save his older son. He leaves his older son in Egypt, but then the Bible says they run out of food and they're out of options and he realizes he has to make a choice. And it's interesting, in Genesis chapter 43, verse 14, Jacob says, And may God Almighty grant you mercy. In other words, he puts his trust back in God. He says, Before the man, he says, May God Almighty give you mercy before the man, the man being Joseph, but he doesn't know that, so that he will let your brother and Benjamin come back with you. As for me, if I am bereaved, I am bereaved, he was ready again to face uncertainty and change. And he says, if if something negative, earlier in a verse prior, he says that he would die. This time he says, you know what? I'll risk the change, but it takes place. And what was it? What he thought was his breaking point. What he thought was the maximum that he can endure was actually the place where God was, it was a breakthrough, where God was going to bless his family. He was going to reunite him with the son that he didn't even know was still alive. There was so much positive there, but Jacob didn't know it. The Bible says in Joshua 1.9, it says, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. I wanna encourage you, change happens. There's a famous secular book uh, that was a bestseller, Who Moved My Cheese? The whole concept of which is talking about uh, the illustration of two mice, not two mice, I think there were more than two mice, I think there were three or four, but there were several mice who learned where to go through the maze to get the cheese, and then the cheese got moved. And some of the mice went looking for it. Some of them kept just lamenting where it used to be. And they use that to talk about these same biblical lessons about change. Change happens. We need to expect that it will happen. We need to watch for it. When it happens, adapt to it, change with it, and enjoy it. God says, build houses. When when something happens, make the best of that situation and recognize that God will work through it and that God is the constant that does not change. I want to correct that quote that I started with in the beginning. Uh, I always get his name written wrong, but Heraclitus, who said, their only thing constant is change was close, but wrong. The only thing that is truly constant is God. God promises that he does not change and he promises not to leave us. He is at our side. If you know that you have a relationship with God, that he is a constant in your life, I congratulate you. I do too. We're a part of the family of God. But there are those perhaps watching who don't know that they are in right standing with God. They don't know if their sins are forgiven. The Bible says you can know you have salvation. Romans 9 and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus died on the cross and believe in your heart that he rose from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the sin that separates you from him. I want to encourage you That if you don't have that relationship with the one constant, unchanging God of the universe, you can do that today. In a moment, I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna just ask you to repeat with me, but to mean it with your heart. Say, dear God, I believe in you. I believe that you love me, that you sacrificed your son, so that I could be forgiven. I accept that sacrifice and I make you the Lord of my life, in Jesus' name, amen.